Amen. Okay, I want to, we dig into the message this morning. I just want to kind of take a, 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 a straw poll this morning. How many of you have artificial trees? You've got fake trees. Okay. How many of you actually went out and you bought a real tree? Okay. How many of you actually sawed down a real tree? Okay. This is what we did this year with our family. First time ever, we, were, we said, we're going to go out and get a real tree. So we said, okay, we're going to, Kathleen and I were first married 22 years ago. We went out and we, we bought a tree, but with the kids and stuff, we always had an artificial tree. So we're going to make this family tradition. We're going to go out. So very hard to find a day to go out. So I called the tree place and I said, what time are you open till? She goes, oh, we're open till eight. I go, can you still saw down a tree that late? She goes, oh yeah, yeah, come out. So I'm figuring they've got lights over the trees, right? Come. She goes, come. You know, you can. So we get there and, um, I said, where's the tree? She goes, it's behind there in pitch black darkness. So I said, well, we want to cut, saw down a tree. She goes, oh, go ahead. So they give us two flashlights. One doesn't even work. It's like I could see like three feet in front of me. The other one's a little brighter. So I've got me and my kids, and we're walking out into this field of, I think we're trees, um, to saw down a tree. So we've got this cart to put the tree in. We've got these flashlights that were from 1970 and so we're out there and we're looking for a tree and I'm like honey we can't there's I I don't know what we're looking at I mean I can't see she goes oh we'll find one so we go Legos the tree you want of course is way in the back corner of the lot so we're walking through I don't know if there's wolves out there I don't know if you know I don't know if the abominable snowman's sitting out there I don't know so we get out there and uh and, and I'm looking for the tree, and I go, what about this one, honey? She goes, I think that's a bush. I, I, I didn't even know. So finally, we, we find this one tree. It was the height, and she, Kathleen wanted a certain diameter. It couldn't be too wide. It couldn't be too high. It had to be perfect. I go, honey, this, it's dark out. I, I, so we get up to this one, and she goes, that's the one. I shine the light out, and, and I go, I think all the branches are brown. I don't even think this thing's alive. I, and so we finally find this tree. I've got two boys, one that's 15 and, and very strong, and I've got another one that's 13. Guess who cuts the tree down? Me. I'm on the floor. I'm on the mud. I'm sawing this tree down. They're no help to me. They give me a saw that I don't think's ever been sharpened in 15 years. It's like a butter knife. So we finally, we get this tree. We find it. We cut it down. We, we think it's okay. We put it in the cart. We bring it back. And I'm just praying the whole way as we get it in the light that, that it's okay. So we get there. You know, they, they put the, the tree in one of those shakers. You know, if you've ever got a real one to shake off. So they put the thing. They shake it. All the needles fell off. No, I'm just teasing. It was good. And so we get the tree on top of the car. I, 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 I brought one piece of rope with me to tie it up there. And so I put it on the top of the car. We go down the road, and I'm looking. We have, a, we have a sunroof in our van, and I look up. I go, where's the tree, honey? I do not see the tree. Where is the tree? We had to pull it. The thing was hanging off the back of the van. So luckily, we, we get the thing home, and we get it up. Every, everything worked out wonderful. That's the last year. We're, no, we, we might do it again. It, it's fun. How many, it, how many just like this time of the year? It's just, it's fun, isn't it? remembering when you were a kid and and I just love this time of the year and when I was a kid I would just get so excited about Christmas I could not sleep I would get so excited I I had a twin sister and an older sister and we would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and wake my dad dad can we no go back to bed and so we would play games we remember the game of life 
I remember the game of life. Spin that thing. So we would play the game of life and we'd spin that thing and my, it would wake up my dad and he would come and say, what are you guys doing? It's four o'clock in the morning. We were just so, so excited. And I knew where my parents would hide the gifts and I was one of those just bad kids who would just sniff out the gifts. You know, I wanted to know what there is. And we, underneath the stairs of our house, there was this little cubby hole under the, under the stairs of our house and that's where they would hide all our gifts. And, and so what my mom did is she just started wrapping them early because she knew I would try to peek and find out what they were. So she started wrapping them early and put them around the tree. And, and I was just a bad kid. And I, I remember one time there's just one gift and it was round. It was just weird. It, they, they put things, it was a Nerf football, but they put like cardboard in it and stuff to make it not look like a Nerf football, you know, and really try to disguise what it was. And I, I kept picking at it. And I kept picking at the paper to see it. And finally, I picked a little hole and, and I picked enough just to look in it. My mom got so mad that I was picking it, that she took the thing, she opened up the back door of the house, just throws the thing out in the backyard in the snow. Do you want to see it? Go ahead. See, she just throws the thing out there. I'm crying. I just, I got too excited about, about Christmas. With our kids now, you know, we say, don't wake us up before 10 o'clock, and it's just really nice. We've trained them well about Christmas. This is a great time of the year, and we get excited. And, but, but I want to look at something. Here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing about this time of year. Between, through all that stuff that we do, and listen, I'm into the tree stuff, and the pre- that's fun. I, I'm there. I'm with you. I'm into it. It's fun. We have a good time. My kids like listening to the Christmas music on the radio when we get in the car. We're into it. It's fun. But listen, here's the thing about Christmas I want you to see. Here's what makes this time of the year just so unique and different. It's really a story about a birth, isn't it? It's, and, and this birth of Christ is amazing to me when you really begin to think about it. So I did some research and, and I wanted to know how many people have ever been born in the history of time? How, how many people have ever lived and walked on the face of this earth? So I did some research and some, some estimates came out that estimate that there has been 107 billion people that have lived on this earth. Hello, 107 billion people. So the, the estimates they have is 107 billion, 602 million, 707,791. I don't know where they get the 791. How do they know that? I, I don't know that. So out of all the people, out of those 707 billion people, out of all those people, There has been no one that has been more loved, hated, controversial, misunderstood, or misrepresented than Jesus Christ. No one. I don't care who you are. I don't don't care if you've come in this place and you're a follower of Christ or not, uh, who you follow. There is no one that is like Jesus Christ. So I looked up some quotes of just people of what they said about Jesus Christ. And someone said this. Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for 40, and Jesus for only three years. Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact left by the combined 130 years of teaching from these men who were known among the greatest philosophers of all antiquity. The Bible 
is the number one best-selling book of all times in all of history. It is estimated that there are well over 30 million Bibles and 100 million New Testaments that are printed every year. The Bible has been translated into more languages than any other book in history. The teachings of Jesus Christ has liberated women, abolished slavery, protected children, started hospital schools, compassion ministries. Jesus has changed the world that you live in today, whether you like it or not. He's impacted it. The non-Christian historian H. H.G. Uh, Wells said this, he goes, I'm a historian, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably, irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. This is what Napoleon said, the great leader Napoleon said, I know men and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne have all founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this very hour, millions of men would die for him. Peter Larson, a biblical scholar, says, despite our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities. This is what I want to unpack today. The virgin womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. Peter Kraft, another Scholar says those who meet Jesus always experience either joy or its opposites, either foretaste of heaven or foretaste of hell. Not everyone who meets Jesus is pleased and not everyone is happy, but everyone is shocked. You can't get around him, people. No matter how much you try to ignore him, no matter how much we say, don't say Merry Christmas, no matter how much we, we try to put Jesus down and just say that he was a philosopher or a great teacher or a great man, no matter how we do it, people are, people's lives are transformed by this person named Jesus Christ who walked on this earth some 2,000 years ago and lives are still being changed. You're sitting here today because your life was transformed by Jesus Christ, a man who walked on this earth some 2,000 years ago. Amen. So you can deny it all you want. The fat, you know where the fastest growing church is? It's in China, which they're not allowed to worship God. Millions upon millions are being saved in China, these underground churches, because of the message of God. Why? Because it's real. And it changes lives. So no matter how you try to ignore Jesus and put him down and suppress him, you can't do it. You can't do it. Why? Because there's something very unique about him. We have to understand this. I love this this poem, and I believe it sums up the life of Christ so well and what makes him so different and so unique from the other 107 billion people that have been born on this earth. It, here's, it's called, maybe you've heard it, I love it, it's called One Solitary Life, and it says this, Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman, 
He grew up in an obscure village. He worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant teacher, preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never traveled except in his infancy more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials but himself. And while he was still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his seamless robe. And when he was dead, he was taken down from the cross and laid in a borrowed grave through the courtesy of a friend, 20 20 wide centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of all human progress. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have, were ever built, all the parliaments that were ever set, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as this one solitary man. Can I get an amen? So I want to unpack why is this, I mean, when you look at Christ just at face value and you look at it from worldly eyes, this, this sets it so well. There was really nothing special when we look at him from the physical, when our physical eyes, there's really nothing special about him. If you were to, to, to have a resume, there's really nothing great. What, what makes Jesus so different? What, what sets him apart? Why do people still seek him today? Why are lives still transformed today by this person? Why is Jesus so unique? What makes him different than just a great man or great teacher or prophet? What sets him even higher than that? What makes him so unique? And I want to unpack a couple things here. But a couple things I want you to know is that God himself, this is what separates Christ from every other person. God himself was born of a virgin and came and dwelt among us. God himself walked among us. He came right in the middle of all our mess. He was tempted. He got hungry. He experienced rejection and pain and ultimately death. I want you to understand the uniqueness of Christ is all about his divinity. He just wasn't another man. In fact, he himself was God. And this is what makes his birth so unique because when you think about it, it simply does not make sense to our human thinking. And here's the mistake that we can make about Jesus. We can make him out just to be another man. But everything about Jesus Christ is miraculous. From his very birth to his death to his resurrection to the miracles that he performed, everything about him is miraculous. So here's, here's the mistake. Listen. 8.30 spiritual people that woke up early this morning shoveled your driveways to come to church early. Listen to me. Listen. Here's the biggest mistake you will ever make about Jesus Christ. 
And, and I know there's a lot of people out there with a lot of different teachings that are trying to lump Jesus in with everybody else. They, they, they'll take some teachings of Jesus Christ and some teachings of, of Hinduism and Islam and everything else, and they'll all put it together and they'll try to make a nice potpourri of all these different teachings, conglomerative teachings, and say, this is the garbage we want to spew out to you so that we can be all-encompassing and one religion and join hands and sing kumbaya and love each other in perfect harmony. You know what I say to that? That's what I say to that. Now listen to me. Here's what you got to understand. Jesus Christ never, ever gave us another option on how we are to believe about him. The biggest mistake you will make about Jesus Christ is make your own interpretation about what you think he is. The biggest mistake you'll ever make about Jesus Christ is just to claim that he was just a man or just a great prophet because that's, that's what other religions will try to do. They believe, I mean, Hinduism, Jesus is one of their gods of all the other zillions of gods they have. They, they, they'll lump him in. You like Jesus? You think he was a neat guy, a prophet? Okay, you can worship him and we'll stick him in with all the other millions of gods that we worship in our religion. They will recognize that he was a prophet. But what sets Jesus apart is that he just wasn't a prophet from God. He just wasn't a good man or a good teacher. But he was God himself. And that's what the Bible teaches us. This is probably one of my favorite quotes ever. So I want you to listen closely. C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful book called Mere Christianity. I recommend every single one of you to read it. But listen to this quote, because I believe this sums it up well. Here's what C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis, just a brilliant, brilliant writer, wrote all the Narnia uh, series. Those of you saw, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, he wrote all those. But, but the thing that was so brilliant about C.S. Lewis is he actually says that he came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. It was very difficult for him to convert but when he was converted, he just came to his mind that there's no other way except through Jesus Christ. And this is what he said. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. But I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, the uniqueness of Christ separates him from every other religious figure that has ever walked on the face of this earth. And people, listen. When you seek him, the Bible says you will find him and the truth will set you free. You know, it's interesting when I talk to people about Jesus and, and about the truth. and about It's interesting when people say, well, I just don't believe that. And I say, well, why not? I go, have you ever read the Bible? No, I just don't believe it. Well, you believe in something. I just don't believe in God. Well, you believe in something, don't you? You're following something, right? 
I go, have you ever sought it out? Have you ever sought the truth? Have you ever looked at the claims that he made? No, I just don't believe it. That's sad, isn't it? If, it's like when Jesus stood before Pilate, before his execution, and, and they were talking about truth, and Pilate had the power to execute Jesus or not, and they talked about truth, and Pilate looks at Jesus and says, what is truth? And guess what Pilate does? He doesn't wait for the answer. He just turns around and walks away. And here Jesus could have shared the truth with him, yet he was so ignorant and so prideful and so much into himself and his own knowledge that he didn't even want to hear it. You see, what makes Christ so unique is we've got to dig into why we worship him. Listen, when you become a Christian, you don't have to check your brains out at the door and become this ignorant person where I just take my brains out. Oh, I just follow Jesus by faith. Listen, there are so many things that back up the claims of Jesus that it's overwhelming. That he is who he says he is. So let's look at this, what makes Jesus so unique? What makes him so different? Well, here's the thing that, that separates Jesus from everyone else is that Jesus actually was God. That he actually came from God. And, and, I, and I love the fact that, that he didn't even, that he came from God, but he was actually the exact nature and character of God. He was always with the Father. Jesus is the ultimate image of God himself. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says here in Hebrews 1.3. He says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He holds the universe by the word of his power and making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And I love the translation here of the English Standard Version when they use the words exact imprint. It is where you get the word character. The English word for character is taken from the meaning to engrave. In Greek writings, the word was used as the stamping of a coin or a, or a mold. There was the exact image, the exact impression. And what I want you to understand is Jesus just wasn't like God, where he came in another form of God, lesser than God. Jesus wasn't like God, meaning you have a, a, a very Christ-like qualities, the Bible tells us, in fact, Jesus was God in every way. Nature, being, and character. And Paul writes to the church in Colossae, and he says to them in Colossians 1.15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, don't get, don't get sidetracked by firstborn, because some people you say, ah, see, he was created. No, that word firstborn just means he has preeminence over everything. He is the ruler and leader over all creation. He always was and, and is God and always was with God. Everything in creation revolves around Christ. And so listen, the minute you take away from the divinity of Christ and you make him less than God, and I don't care what the religion is, what, what, what the denomination is, the minute you take away from the divinity of Christ and make him less than God, it's a cult. I'm just sorry, it is. The moment you take, you, you, can't, you, you can't take away, because if you take away from the divinity of Christ and you say that he wasn't God or less than God, then guess what? My sins and your sins could not be forgiven. 
They couldn't because, because if that were the case, then Jesus was just a nice guy who died a death for people and, and there's a dime a dozen for that, right? But if God himself came and died for our sins, which we could never have paid for ourselves, then it means that it appeased a most holy God and that Jesus' sacrifice was perfect like the Bible says and that there's no more needs for any other sacrifices. So I like C.S. Lewis's quote here. Listen, you, you've got two options. You either bow to the lordship of Christ where the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus never gave us an option to worship anything else. There are not many doors to heaven. There's not many roads to heaven where a lot of popular celebrities and teachers are saying today that doesn't matter what road you take, as long as you're, you're sincere in what you believe, eventually all those roads lead to God. No, Jesus said, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me. So it's not what I believe. This is what Jesus taught. So I like what C.S. Lewis says. Either you got to believe, you can't, you can't patronize Christ by saying, well, I just believe he's a nice guy. Well, that's not going to get you into heaven. No matter how sincere these people are or how sincere other religious organizations are, no matter how sincere they are, no matter how many good works they do, no matter how many poor they feed, guess what? It's all in vain if Jesus isn't Lord. That's, that should be an eye-awakening thing for every single one of us. And so what C.S. Lewis says, you either got to accept him as Lord and bow towards him or just say he's a lunatic. You can't do it both ways. Either he is the greatest con artist that has ever lived on the face of this world because millions of people follow him, or he is God. And if he is God, we're going to have to answer to God for the knowledge that we have about his son, Jesus Christ. So the uniqueness of Christ is this. He is God. And for us to experience God and to know his salvation and know his forgiveness of our sins, we have to bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord over our lives. That he is both Savior and Lord and God. That is the confession and the profession of our faith that we believe that Jesus is God. Emmanuel, God with us, who came in human flesh to suffer for us and lead us back to a right relationship with God the Father. Jesus is, is, is the carpet that we walk on. Jesus is the bridge that we walk over. Jesus is the one that hung on the cross for you and I. Jesus is, that, is the one that intercedes for you and I. Everything has to go through Jesus. You can't get around him. You can't sidestep him. He is the one that you must go through in order to find salvation and eternal life, period. He never gave us another option or another road or another set of teachings or another person that we must follow. He is God. That's what makes him new, unique. Can I get an amen? Okay. What's the second thing here that I love about Christ? Is that not only was he God... But Jesus came to this earth as a servant. Now, that is, to me, that is just weird because you've got these two extreme opposites. You've got the God of the universe 
who comes in human form, who just think, just look at the stars and, and the galaxies and, and the, the trillions of stars that are in the universe. God created all those things and it can just blow your mind at times thinking how small I really am and does God really know my name? The Bible says he knows every hair in your head, that you're the apple of his eye. He knows everything about you. That just blows my mind, the omniscience. God is all-knowing. The omnipresence, that he's everywhere. The omnipotent, that he's all-powerful. I just Isn't it hard to understand that, God, do you really care about me? Have you ever just sat in your room, or you're alone by yourself, and, and your own problems, and you called out to God, and you just thought, God, do you really hear me? Do you really care about me? And this is how God says, yes, I care about you. This is how we know that God is not so far away because I think that's what blows people's mind because they just feel like, well, here's this God of this creation. Does he really care? Come on, Pastor Barton, give me a break. Does he really care about my problems and what I'm going through? And this is how much he cares for you. He came in the form of man, in the form of a baby. He came right down to us. Can you imagine the people that were around Christ and they touched him? They actually touched God. Do you realize that after the ascension, Jesus went up in a physical body, a physical form? There was 500 people that witnessed the ascension of the Lord. That's why they gave their lives for him, because they actually saw Christ. They touched him. They ate with him. Thomas felt the nail prints, the scars in his hands. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe until I actually see him. I don't believe he's resurrected. And what were the words that Jesus said to Thomas? Listen, blessed are you because you've seen me. You've touched my hand. You know that I'm alive. But blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Because there's something very powerful about faith. So here you have the God of the universe comes down right into our crud and our garbage and our messy lives and chooses to dwell among us. Not only that, he, he comes and he's placed in a feeding trough. He's born in a stable with poop and stinkiness all around him. That's what it was. Let's just call it for what it is. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't a palace. He was born, and I believe the reason for that, you're like, why would God of the universe who created the galaxies be born in a barn? I know some of you like that. You barn people just love that because we live in Wayne County. I understand that. Like, I don't get it, Pastor. That's pretty cool. Born in a barn. I, okay, listen, let's get over the Wayne County 315 stuff for just a minute here, okay? And let's come back down to reality, okay? Here he is. And I, I believe the reason why he's, he, he's placed in this manger and born in a stable is that he can relate to every single one of us. If God was born in a palace, I couldn't relate to that. But because he was born in our mess and the stinkiness of life, we can relate to him. That's how much God loves you. He says, I do understand you. And guess what? One day, for those who put their faith in Christ Jesus, you will see him for who he really is. He says, I know you. It says to cast all your cares upon me for I because I care for you. I walked my... Can you, can you imagine that woman that had the issue of blood and Jesus had this crowd around him and she went up and just touched the hem of his garment? 
And Jesus says, my power has left me. Someone has touched me. Who's touched me? And the woman was healed. Jesus touched the lepers, hung out with the sinners. That was God. And he says, I'm not far away from all your stuff. I know your background. I know all the crud. I know what you think about. I know the stuff that you've done. That's not hidden from my eyes. And guess what? I'm still willing to love you and save you regardless of who you are. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That's the type of Savior we have. He comes right down. He's not asking you to get it all together. He already knows. He knows our hearts are deprived, that our hearts are wicked, that they're deceitful above all things. The prophet Jeremiah said, who can trust it? He knows all that, yet he still comes down in the form of man to take all our crud upon him. That's how much God loves you. He comes right down in the midst of your stuff. What other person has ever done that? I don't know. No one. That's what makes him so unique. And this is what I love about Christ, because he's a servant. He came to serve. He came to give his life, not to be served. Listen to what Paul says as he writes to the church in Philippi. I love this. He says, listen, your attitude in Philippians chapter 2 should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being the very nature of God himself, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross for you and I. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow under heaven and earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here we see God himself coming in the form of a servant, Jesus willingly laying down his attributes. He could have taken them up again. It, 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 he was God, fully God, fully man, the God man. And here he comes, takes on the form of a servant, not, not to come to be served, but to serve us and actually make his life as a ransom for you and I. God himself loved you so much that he says, I know you can't save yourself. I know you can't overcome your sins. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in the form of you and live amongst all your, your, your nastiness and your sin. And I'm going to take it on my life to appease God's wrath towards you. That's the type of Savior we serve today. That's who he is. He's that suffering servant. Jesus' love drove him to take the role of a servant for our sake, for our sin. He humbled himself even to death, Paul says. He left the throne of heaven to be born as a baby, to walk in the flesh in the midst of our sin and rebellion to save us. So Jesus didn't give up any of his deity. He was still God with all his power, Yet he chose, he chose to serve and become a ransom for mankind. That's why the baby in the manger, the word of God tells us in Matthew that God is actually with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. 
even in this little form of a baby. Like, how can God be in the form of a baby? He can be. God actually comes and dwelt among us. Even as a baby, he was fully God. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Okay, Jesus is God. He's different from every other religious figure, any person who claimed to know God. He is unique. It's Jesus Christ. There is no others. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus came as a servant. The biggest problem that man had was sin. Jesus came to overcome that for us. So the question that we have to ask ourselves as we as we get ready to celebrate Christmas, is how am I to respond to that? Because I can't, can't let this Christmas season go by and not really understand the truth that, this, that Pastor Barden is trying to lay out here. I can't let this truth go by and not respond to it because Christ says, listen, you can't leave it at the manger It's easy to worship Jesus at the manger because the little baby's not very intimidating, but you've got to take that to the cross to where he hung on the cross for you and I. And you've got to know that he conquered sin and death through his resurrection that, that, that showed, that proved to the world that he and he alone is God. And he is unique from every other figure that has ever walked on the face of this earth. He is separate from every other seven or 107 billion other people that have ever walked on this earth, he is the one, period. So how do I respond? How do I respond to Christ? There's got to be a response, right? I just can't have it up here. Jesus says you've got to respond to that knowledge and that truth because when you respond to that truth, the truth sets you free. It, It transforms your life. And Jesus just didn't come to make you a better student or to make you a better husband or to make you a better dad or, you know, all these things that we try to say, well, Jesus is just some extra self-help tool to help me. Jesus actually came to transform your life, one that was headed to hell to one that is now headed to eternity with Christ himself. That's why he came. Now, knowing Christ and the transformed life that comes with that, he does. He does make you a better husband and a better worker and all those things come with it. But that's not why he came. He came to save you. So there's got to be a choice. There's got to be a response by faith. And you've got to come to him and bow your heart just as the shepherds came and worshipped him, just as the, the wise men came a year or two later. They, they bowed and they offered gifts before this Savior. There's got to be a response to what Christ did. There's got to be a step of faith. The Bible says that God saves you by his grace alone. You didn't deserve it. You don't earn it. There's not enough good works you could ever do to earn his salvation. It's a complete act. It's a gift of God's grace. But you've got to put your faith in Christ Jesus in order to activate it. There has to be a response to the knowledge of who Christ is. And so how, do, how, how does God desire us to respond? Well, well, he says, listen, you need to lay down your rights and you need to humble yourself before him. You need to lay down your rights and you need to humble yourself before him. 
And so when you've made that commitment to Christ and you've confessed him as Lord and Savior, here's the result. Here's the fruit that comes forth from it. You begin to say to yourself, I don't have the right to hurt others who have hurt me because I've laid that down at the foot of Jesus Christ. I, I don't have the right not to forgive because if Jesus forgave my sins and if he hung on the cross for my sins, then I have no right to hold back unforgiveness from anyone else. Obviously, that doesn't excuse the other person for what they have done to you, but they have to stand accountable before God one day. And we need to come to the point where we say, I don't deserve anything, but by God's wonderful grace and by his only son coming to die for me, I am so undeserving of this. And I have to come to the point in my life where I realize that I am no better than anyone else. And when I point the finger at the world and say, look how vile the world is and how lost they are, in fact, I've lost track of my own filth and my own vileness to the depths that Jesus went through to reach me and to save me. People, it's grace, 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 grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's grace that God was willing to send his son for you and I. It's grace that he was willing to die for you when we were dead. In a, the Bible says you were dead in your sins. The, the theological meaning, the Greek meaning behind that is you were dead. That's what it means. No dead person can revive themselves. You were dead in your sins. But God sent his son as a gift for you and I. That's grace. And that grace should humble you and cause you to respond by faith and respond to Christ and his goodness and his love for you to allow him to transform your life. You see, we need to come back to the manger and not look at it as some cute little boy in some song we sing, away in a manger, no crib for a bag. We need to come back to the manger and say, that was God who came in human flesh to become a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. The shepherds got it. Mary got it. Joseph got it. The wise men got it. Do you got it? Terrible English, I'm sorry. Do you got it? See, that's the difference. See, when you stand before God, God's not going to ask you how many times you went to church, how often you read your Bible, blah, 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 blah. What he's going to ask you is, what did you do with the truth of my son, Jesus Christ? Period. What did you do with that knowledge? So you're in one of two camps here today. You've either fallen at the feet of Christ and he saved you and the truth has set you free or you are dead in your sins, headed to an eternity to hell. Those are the two camps. That's what the Bible says. I know that's harsh, but that's the reality of it. 
Because when I try to water down hell and try to, well, it's not that bad as long as you're a good person, and as long as you're sincere in what you believe, what I've done is I've watered down the cross and what Jesus really came to do. When I water down hell, when I water down, listen, if, if you were to stand before any judge and there was a murderer that committed an atrocity of murder and that judge would say, oh, how am I feeling today? Yeah, I'll let you go. I'm in a good mood. There would be an outcry, wouldn't there? That's not right. That's not fair. They, they, they deserve justice. Where's the justice? Why aren't you acting like a good judge? And if God is a good judge, how could he ever overlook my sin? And just say, well, Bart, you were just sincere. You were a good little boy. I know you peeked at your presence when you were little. You know, I, you, were, you, were, you weren't that bad. No. Even as a child, I was a little sinner. I was. I was a sinner. I was born in sin. Okay? That's why I peeked at all the presents. Because I was a little sinner. That's why I bothered my twin sister and made her life miserable half the time, okay? Listen, we need a Savior. And so you're in one of two camps here today. You've either bowed to His Lordship or you're still dead in your transgressions. God says, come to the manger. Humble yourselves before me, and I will transform your life. And I will give you the gift of eternal life, and I will transform your life and make you new. But you've got to come by faith. So I want you to bow your hearts here today. Just let, Let's just pray. Let's just, this is between you and the Lord, between you and God. You've got... You're sitting here today and you need, to ask your, you need to ask yourself the hard question, really, where am I today? Where am I today? Am I in right relationship with you, God? And Jesus, you know my heart. And some of you are sitting here today and maybe your heart's pounding a little bit. Maybe you're like, man, I'll be honest with you, Pastor Barr, and I, I don't really know where I'm at today. Well, you can make it right before the Lord because the Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the good news. Just fall in his grace and mercy. He's not asking you to do all this stuff. He's just saying, come to me by faith. Trust me. Trust what I did for you. I will transform your lives into one that was headed to an eternal damnation to one that's headed to eternal life. That's what Christ came to do. That's why he was born. So as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to pray for you today. Maybe that's you today. And you say, Pastor Barden, pray for me today. That's where my heart is. That I, I need to make that commitment. Is there anyone? Just I'm not going to embarrass you, but anyone in this room, just by the raised hand, say, Pastor, pray for me today. That's me. And I want to make that commitment. Amen. Good. Anyone else? Pastor, that's me today. Let God transform your life. Don't let this moment pass. Amen. Thank you. I see that. Yeah, there's some teenagers. There's some adults. Good. It's not me you raise your hand. It's, it's to the Lord. You're saying, God, I want to make this commitment to you today. Praise God. Good. God is good. Good. Lord, we come before you. And Lord, your word says that when we believe in you and we confess you and we turn from our sins, you are faithful to save and to forgive 
I can't even begin to understand why you would forgive me of all my sin because I'm such a sinner. But you forgive it. Because Jesus, you were God. If you were just man, you couldn't do it. But because you were God, your blood was sufficient to cover all my inconsistencies, all my transgressions, all my sins. It was enough to cover me. And so, Lord, there's not enough good works I could ever do to cover all my sins. I was guilty. And I should have... The the verdict on my life is guilty as charged. But Jesus, you came to take my penalty. You were perfect. You You had no sin. And you came to take my penalty upon the cross. And all the wrath of God and all my sin was placed upon your back and you died to it and you appeased God's holiness and his wrath for me. That's how much you love me. And I pray this year for every person in this place that, that Lord, they would realize that, that Christmas is so much more than a way in a manger and singing some cute carols. It's about a Savior who came to deal with my biggest problem, that was my sin. And until I come to recognize that, I am still dead in that sin. So, Lord, we come and we place our faith in you. And we say, save us. Change us. So, Lord, give us that faith. Thank you for the gift of faith that you give us to trust you and believe that Jesus is the only way. So we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we worship him this Christmas season. Thank you for those that that lifted their hands and say, God, that's me. I need you to come. I need you to save me. And I put my faith in my faith alone in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. We give you the glory for that. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. I want us to sing this song and just make it, just make it your prayer this morning. And ask God just to cleanse you today. God bless you. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Forgive us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to
Thank you that through all our rebellion and all the wrong things we've done, you still came. And you still willingly gave your life for us. You allowed the nails to be driven in your hands and your feet. And Lord, for that, that crown that was made out of thorns to just to be jammed in your head, that the blood flowed from Calvary's tree because we couldn't save ourselves. And Lord, I pray for every heart here today. They would just seek you. Lord, you hear our prayers. When a heart is humbled and seeks your face, you will restore, you will forgive, you will heal, and you will transform our lives. And so, Lord, help us to seek the truth in Jesus and Jesus alone. And I just pray for anyone here today that this is just new for them. Lord, I pray that during this week that, God, you would just disturb them. Just let them know that you're there, that, that your eye is on them. Just like your eye is on the sparrow, you haven't lost track of us, and that they're not alone, that the God of the universe knows me. He knows me. And I thank you for that, Jesus, that you are big enough to handle the weight of the world's problems. You are big enough to know exactly what I'm going through and to speak to my heart and to bring comfort when I need comforting and to bring saving when I need to be saved. That's what a God you are. We're thankful for that and we give you the glory in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. Amen. 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 Listen, if any of you, before I let you go, if any of you need prayer, our prayer partners will be up front, pray with anything you're going through. Otherwise, Merry Christmas. God bless you guys. Have a great day.